This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, this is John Dorsey, co-executive producer of Superhuman Public Radio and the voice of Ethan Schwartz. I wanted to talk to you about a new sponsor of SPR. The series is called The White Vault a horror audio drama set in a remote Arctic outpost and the records of the team sent to repair the station. Now, if you're fans of H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, this show is for you. Now, this series is complete, so if you're looking for something with a definitive end, check them out today. Find them on your favorite podcasting app or at thewhitevault.com. Now, on to the show. This is SPR. The superhero Permafrost, known for her epic confrontations with Poison Oak, is on the lookout for a new base of operations after her Antarctic fortress of isolation has succumbed to the effects of global warming. The glacier melt has done what 10 years of villainous league airstrikes failed to do, leaving Permafrost temporarily out in the cold. That was Wenling Chen reporting from SPR Anchorage. Legion headquarters has been accused of harvesting data on extraordinary civilians. What degree of privacy should superpowered people expect when it comes to their genetic code? Live from Washington, I'm Stephen Singh, joined by Brenna Flocks, head of the Coalition for Empowerment. Hello, Stephen. And joining us by phone is Felix Brenner, author of My Secret Identity. Thank you for having me. By asking candidate cities for their information on supers, has the heroic Legion created a breach of public trust? Brenna, we'll start with you. Okay, well, first of all, and this has not really been established, is the Heroic Legion actually mining this data? Because really, we don't know for sure. We have the claims of a lone vigilante, and that's it. And secondly, if they were, should they be allowed to? This isn't height or weight we're talking about, it's powers. This is uncharted territory, legally speaking. Now, what we do know for sure is that they've requested raw statistical data about supers from cities that have applied to host Tower 2. And until we have established whether the Heroic Legion collected more information than that, I don't see the point in speculating. If, if, if I could just jump in here, the fact that they've been asking cities for this information is a matter of record. It was part of the application process. Whether they have been keeping this information is beside the point. The question is... For the everyday empowered person, what right do they have to opt out of this? This data is collected anonymously. The Legion has put the development of local talent high on its priority list. So how can it decide what city would be the best fit without knowing the scope of their potential pool? It'd be one thing if they were collecting personal data, but, but this is just census material. The base genetic data that can be found on any birth record. Even so, who consents to this? Back in the 1940s, it was suggested to have a super registry, and it was rejected. This collection of data make those of us who remember our history very nervous. Not to mention, Quantum himself has suggested there may have been some mismanagement. Is that true, Stephen? 
He has made inquiries, and I believe is planning on making a public address later this week. The Ultimate Speedster's findings have been described as fairly serious. It does seem that there are... discrepancies. He tells us that the Legion is collecting more than basic census data, and if that is the case, then an important question isn't whether, but why. So Exactly the concern. In fact, if you look at the data... I'm sorry, we... I'm just getting breaking news from our press office, and we'll have to cut our segment short. Brenna and Felix, thanks for joining us today. That was Stephen Singh in Washington. It's 75 degrees here in Paradise City. Coming up next is 100% Invisible. This is 100% Invisible. I'm Aries Greco. The 1950s was an age of American innovation. In those 10 years, 3 million patents were issued for products and mechanisms that would change the American landscape. During the Golden Age, world powers wanted technology that would keep pace with an emerging generation of superheroes and villains. To foster this generation of inventors, the United States government instituted a new grant program vested with almost half a billion dollars, the U.S. Brain Power Allotment, or the USBPA. Author Felicia Castri has written a book about how one man wasted 10% of that money. The story begins in 1951, when Chicago trusted its safety to one hero. When evil hides in the shadows, the shadows hide back. Nowhere is secret from the Sultan of Snake. The Invisible Man, he is the Wisp. The Wisp was a surprisingly effective crime fighter, considering he really only had one trick. He could turn invisible. This is Felicia Castri. But as the city continued expanding, he ran into a problem. How do you get around? Lester Fielding. Now, that's a name everyone in R&D would like to forget. Bradley Evans is a research manager for Lockheed Martin. He's a legend in the industry the same way the Chupacabra is a legend. The boogeyman of disaster. Something you tell your kids when they start inventing impractical gadgets. I suppose you want to talk about the Casper. Lester Fielding was running a small gadget store on the west side of Chicago when the grant program started. And in a day that would change history, the Wisp came into his store asking what he knew about invisibility. As it happened, Lester knew a lot. With the Wisp's name recognition, they were able to secure $3 million to create a prototype. So Lester takes about three months in his workshop, and then he unveils the Casper, a completely functional, invisible car. Outfitted with an electric engine, it was totally silent. The Wisp could park outside a mafia hangout, and no one would ever know. However, Fielding hadn't just made the car invisible on the outside, it was invisible on the inside as well. The Wisp spent three weeks in the country learning how to drive it. By the end, he was certain he had revolutionized the stakeout. But an invisible car in Chicago? How would people avoid hitting it? Well, the short answer is, they didn't. Virtually every red light was an invitation for a collision. His first week in the city, he managed to be in 57 traffic accidents. So Lester looked at this problem and gave it a solution. Stronger bumpers. 
But the accidents kept happening, and it was worse when it was parked. Inevitably, someone would try to take the space, and it wasn't long before the Mafia associated the sounds of scraping metal and confused cursing with their foe. So what happened to it? They lost it. They lost it. They lost it. (laughs) After a couple of weeks, the Wisp was admitted to the hospital with severe whiplash, so he told Lester to recover the Casper. But the Wisp couldn't remember where it was parked, and... How do you find an invisible car? The military, though, took an interest. They just threw money at him. So he adapted his technology and helped build an invisible jet. There's not as much traffic at 35,000 feet. That's why a lot of very smart people expected the Casper technology would be better applied at altitude. This allowed the military to discover a host of exciting new problems, especially invisible jets are really hard to fly. Instruments help a pilot measure altitude, heading, and attitude, but they only help a pilot if you can read them. And the jet was, again, invisible on the inside. Lester was a brilliant engineer. That was never the problem. The problem was he gave people what they asked for instead of what they wanted. (sighs) Lost a lot of good pilots before they closed that program down. They still have one of the birds in the air and space museum. Uh, we, we think. This was when Lester turned to a new field. Sonic. But that's another story. Thank you to Felicia Castri, author of The Invisible Car and Other Stupid Inventions from the World's Smartest Man, available wherever books are sold. And thanks to Bradley Evans and to the whole 100% Invisible team. We will be back next time with more stories of design. Support for SPR comes from Dollar Shoe Club. If you're a speedster, we feel your pain. There's nothing more annoying than having to buy a new pair of shoes after you wear the rubber down on yours to nubs. That's why we founded Dollar Shoe Club. For just a dollar a day, we'll send you a box of 30 pairs of running shoes sourced from defunct shoe companies around the world. Why go for quality when you can have quantity? Dollar Shoe Club. 30 pairs for $30. Shoes may not be matching size, brand, or foot. All purchases are final. Dollar Shoe Club. Live from SBR News in Washington, I'm Deirdre Wilson, sitting in for Stephen Singh. Supervillain Babylon has attacked the New Orleans Jazz Festival. SBR reporter Steve, Stephen Singh is, is on the scene. Stephen, can you hear us? Yes. The gunfire you are hearing is from local police that have responded en masse to the scene. But it appears that bullets and punches cannot penetrate Babylon's armor. Babylon has made the following demand, and I quote, Your gray-haired leaders have prevented my old friend Cosmos from receiving the warrior's death I owe him and no other can hope to stand before me. Surrender your planet to me, and some of you may yet live. Has the heroic legion responded? The Southern Battalion. They are still en route, but Quantum has arrived on the scene. Oh my god, Quantum! And is attempting to subdue him. Quantum is a DC-based hero. What is he doing in New Orleans? His best. 
I will update you when I can. It is getting increasingly dangerous here on the scene. Stay safe, Steven. We will update the story as it develops. Now back to your scheduled program. That was Deirdre Wilson in Washington. It's 74 degrees here in Paradise City. Coming up next is These American Supers. From QSPZ Baltimore, it's These American Supers. I'm Ethan Schwartz. When we think of a supervillain, what do we picture? If you don't supply me with 10 metric tons of gold, I will destroy your precious moon! <laughs> do you imagine black rubber gloves, horns, red glowing eyes? They say not all heroes wear capes, but what about villains? Well, that's what our segment today, The Question, is all about. Uh, 1987, the Green Thumb had just stopped Dr. Riot from destroying the Amazon rainforest. Two months later, we were there doing pretty much the same thing. And that's when I first asked the question. Carter is retired now, but over three decades, he worked his way up to become VP of one of the largest multinational corporations on Earth, Eco Enterprises. We had been in negotiations with the locals for just over two years to give us access to develop the area, which in those days meant clear-cutting our way across, selling off the lumber, and setting up mining operations. It was a win-win. A couple weeks later, a bunch of the execs got a helicopter tour of the area, mostly an excuse to take a vacation to Brazil, drink caipiranhas, and hang out on the beach. So we're in the copter tour over the heart of the jungle, and then we get to the site. And it was just brown, this long, dead plain for miles. The only thing moving were the fellers driving up and down, tearing into old growth trees and loading up trucks. And one of my colleagues leans over and says, thank God for the green thumb. And then the question came to me, and I, I couldn't get this thought out of my head. Are we supervillains? After that moment, Carter decided to cut his trip short. The question was haunting him. I didn't think any person at the company wanted to hold the world hostage or blow up Liechtenstein or anything like that, but thinking about some of the things the company as a whole would do, the incidentals, we'd call them, taken together, it started to feel like the company itself had this secret evil agenda, and we were just its henchmen carrying it out. Carter does not have any special powers per se, but he does have a gift for negotiating. In his time with the company, he was responsible for some $15 billion in asset acquisitions, or according to him, Acquisitions means a lot of things. Sometimes it's a startup, sometimes it's uh, patents, or a, a company we flagged as a competitor for a market. A lot of times it was resources. There's only so much tantalum, for instance, and, and most of it's in Rwanda and the Congo. Not super business-friendly places, but when most smart devices need it to work, the company that has the supply chain is going to be the one to meet the demand. So they'd send me in to lay the groundwork. I'd talk to actual warlords and be working out deals. And of course, we couldn't sell them weapons because of treaties, but we could build a factory that made weapons. And it was all very legal, still is. How is it that you can talk to us about this? Didn't you sign an NDA? This is all public information. You call their PR team and they'll tell you about it. People just forget. <laughs> At this point, I think they probably could blow up Liechtenstein and the stock would level out after a few days. 
Remember the pipeline explosion in Anwar? Killed 65 people and destroyed the whole region's ecosystem. Let's see Dr. Riot do that. Three weeks of bad press and nothing. But the question came up again and again. That must have taken a toll on you. Every time I spent money on anything, I felt dirty. Like it was blood money, you know? But then you kept going back to work. Well, I, I had a family. And, well, it, it's kind of hard to find a successful corporation that isn't at least a little evil. When the feeling was really bad, I started to talk to people about it. I had to be careful. I, I asked old college friends, colleagues, the ones working for investment banks and Fortune 500 companies, and it, it started to seem like they were asking the same thing. Eventually, it was almost like we were forming our own little support group. It's not something you want to discuss openly. Yeah, one of my friends punched me in the mouth when I asked him about it. He said, great, now I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of my f***ing life. But, uh, you know, most people just had this big exhale, like they'd been holding it in for so long, they were finally getting to let it out. So once a month or so, a bunch of us would get together and have these sessions where we would basically just ask ourselves, is this okay? I mean, we tell each other it's legal. And if we were really doing something wrong, wouldn't someone try to stop us? Like, wouldn't we get a visit from the Legion? And that's how we would rationalize it. If, if we were working for the villains, where were the heroes? A lot of our companies were sponsors of the Heroic Legion. We hosted their softball league and before they lost their insurance for it. But it, it didn't feel like we were innocent. It just felt like we hadn't been caught. Then, in the winter of 2012, things changed. The world is still recovering from Eknaton the Lich, and all we can think is how can we profit from this? That's when the Heroic Legion raided Onet Industries. Onet Industries was an investment firm that was run by Victor Ellis. In 2012, the Heroic Legion discovered that Victor Ellis was also known as the Puppeteer, one of Goatman's main adversaries. No one got away clean. Onet had business with everyone. I guess that's why the puppeteer was always going on about his strings connecting the world. I had done deals with them. We were co-sponsors for the NYC Marathon back before 720. The point is, they were everywhere. And I think for those of us asking the question, it was... It was just weird to see what an actual supervillain does. And the thing is, it was a lot like what we were doing. Six board members were sent to jail. Two others were frozen into a glacier when Ellis was escaping. My friend, he was a junior partner. A great job, great life. And then one day later, he is suddenly a real-life henchman. He was devastated. And he didn't go to jail, six months probation, but that was it for him. No one wanted to mess with the Legion, and he was marked. It, it, it's like he had bad guys stamped on his resume. This was the friend who had punched Carter in the mouth. It was then that I think a lot of us decided that maybe it wasn't worth taking the chance. A lot of people at my level retired around then. You know, some of us changed careers. Do you think that maybe Eco Enterprises had some dark secrets of their own? Yeah, no more than I did. I still don't think anyone there is a puppeteer-style bad guy. They all mostly just want to do what's good for the corporation. I just decided I had done enough. Saved enough that I didn't need to be doing it anymore. So, 
Now I get to spend time with my kids who are starting to have kids of their own. I'm volunteering at a youth shelter on weekends. Does it help? I get to bed early enough, but, but right before I drift off, I can almost feel the question hovering over me, and it feels like I'm like I'm only a free man now because I was just a little more lucky than good. Carter's support group still meets regularly. Carter stops by to help people who are asking the question, but he warns them they may not like the answer. If you believe that you are working for a supervillain, their heroic legion has a tip line you can call toll-free at any time. You can find it on a link that's our show today thanks to everyone who put it together including whoever keeps eating my lunch out of the staff fridge it's like he had bad guys stamped on his resume we'll be back soon with more of these american supers live from spr news in washington i'm deirdre wilson The situation in New Orleans has been resolved. The supervillain Babylon has been apprehended by Iron Barracuda and the main force of the Heroic Legion. We have early reports that while many are wounded, there are no civilian casualties on site, thanks to the heroic efforts of Quantum. Quantum was instrumental in the apprehension of Babylon, but has been severely injured in the encounter. He is currently at the Tulane Medical Center in critical condition. SBR reporter Stephen Singh has also been reported missing while covering the event on site. We hope for his swift and safe return. We will update you as this story develops. That was Deirdre Wilson reporting from Washington. Today's show was written and produced by John Dorsey and Maximilian Clark, with additional producing by Brendan Sokler and Carla Lerner. This episode features the talents of... Akia Wilson, Alexander Stott, Amanda Sykes, Bevan Bennett, Connor Maroney, Danielle Cohn, Danny Gavigan, Henry Packer, John Dorsey, Moni Aliama, Sarah Ellis, Sean Ahmed, Steve Hayes, Tiffany Clifton, and the SPR Players. With special thanks to Brenna Khalil. The SPR main theme was composed by Rock Lee. Other themes were composed by Stephen Munoz. SPR is directed and edited by Maximilian Clark. SPR is supported by listeners like you. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review. You can also support SPR by heading to patreon.com and looking up Superhuman Public Radio. Patrons get access to ad-free episodes, interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. For more, head to superhumanpublicradio.com. Coming up next, Brain Slug Extermination Music. If you can't hear anything, that means the previous treatment worked. This is SPR. Brain slug extermination music begins in three, two, one. Thank <laughs> you.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Graham Shapiro is a decent man. Gideon Media's hit sci-fi thriller, Give Me Away, returns. There's a lot of people screaming in that prison right now. So screen me. Just know up front, I'm going to have input. What happened? Are you all right? Dad. Tell us everything. It seems like you want to scare us into thinking you're going to let us starve. But should your treatment of us ever cause this decent man to let me off the leash again, anything is possible. Give me away season two, starting April 11th.